Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and the brightest in the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity to drive your career forward. My guest today, Dan Pantello, founder and CEO of Marpipe, the world's first independent MarTech platform that automates testing of creative for brands. And Dan and his team created Marpipe back when they were running the Pantello Group, which they found out of a college dorm room and eventually scaled to a fast-growing consultancy based out of Soho. So not a garage like Apple and all the other ones, but we'll, we'll get into that. And he's come a long way from selling electronics on the streets of Brooklyn. I love it. And he and his company are trailblazing a new era of data that informs the best creative for the job. And today, Marpipe has raised over $10 million from the likes of Adobe, Samsung, and executives at BuzzFeed, HubSpot, MediaMath, and Cartero, to name a few. And a lot of exciting innovation to cover in this episode and Dan's story. So let's get to it. Dan, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be on the podcast, Adam. I'm excited for this. Let's do it. Awesome, man. I really enjoyed our conversation uh, before we went on air. It's funny too. I always think about like kind of recording those and doing like a behind the scenes kind of thing. But but those are those are the private chats. Those are the get to know you. That's that's yep. when we get into the good stuff here. So let's hit the rewind button, and I want to bring everyone up to speed on 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 your career. Let's let's bring it back. Yeah. You're you're first generation American. And, <clears throat> and I made this crazy mistake of thinking you were Italian, but you corrected me so eloquently that it's actually Ukrainian. Um, your parents weren't entrepreneurs, correct? Like, where did, where did you get the work ethic from? Let's give a little bit of background here. To lay, I love laying out the foundation of where entrepreneurship comes from. My parents were Soviet Jewish refugees. And my grandmother um, on my dad's side was a Jewish woman who, had a, who was a business owner not a hospitable soviet union was not a hospitable place uh, for a jew or a woman to be a business oh, those owner. stories are rough yeah yeah so um we applied for asylum and got it my grandmother got it my dad was 19 at the time with his pregnant 19 year old girlfriend shotgun wedding came over to the u.s uh i was made in the ussr so to speak but born uh, three months after they landed. So just made the cut for citizenship because <laughs> <laughs> I was born on American soil. Um, and, uh, and so, so yeah. And my, so my parents are 19 years older than me. They, we, they had me when they were 19 came over here. I mean, you've got the classic, I mean, <clears throat> it's almost like a cliche at this point, but it really is the, you know, we lived in a studio apartment with, uh, another family, um, you know, they had to learn English. They went to like a local Jewish center that taught them yep. English. Um, and uh, they taught them one of the things that they actually found was useful to teach immigrants was uh, uh, programming, computer programming um, and, and development. Right. And so um, 
So, because it was like, you didn't need to know a lot of English to learn how to code, actually. Like, code is a universal language, right? right. Um, and so, so actually, that, you know, that, that's actually how my parents got into uh, develop. My parents both became software developers because of that. Um, yeah. It was like a good transition. Um, and uh, lo and behold, technology became a thing. And, uh, and they ended up being uh, really successful in their own, in their own rights uh, today. So, 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 yeah. it's in, so it's in your DNA from the beginning, right? They, they, they were hustling. They were out there grinding. They were making things happen. And I think that's a big part of the, you know, the, the immigrant work ethic um, coming to this country. And you and I were talking about this before. My, my wife's father, my father-in-law, came here as a plumber. I mean, he was literally cleaning toilets. And, you know, fast forward, you know, 40, 40 years later, he is an extremely successful developer, landlord, owns multiple properties. I mean, that's the work ethic, the it, relentless pursuit of doing better for yourself and your family. You know, I, I grew up my whole life being told by my, my parents constantly, the constant reminders, daily, weekly, that like, hey, in America, you, you, the harder you work, the more results that you see for yourself, right? Um, and it was like, because they escaped communism. And in communism, no one gives a shit how hard you work, right? Like, you're actually incentivized against working hard, right? You're just, you're freeloading off of the work of other people. Like, whether you show up to work or don't show up to work, you still have that exactly. factory job. Um, you know, you're not going to get fired. You'll always be taken care of by the state. So why work hard, right? I mean, it's like, what's the point of life at that point, right? Like, what do you do? You just, it's you just like down, exist. It's communism. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, so, so it's like America is, 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 is an incredible, uh, like beautiful, real, truly like international beacon of, of hope to people who come from, you know, similar regimes, um, where the harder you work, uh, the, the more, the more you're rewarded. And so a lot of, I think the internal drive comes from, you know, coming, coming from a place like that. I love it. And, and I love to hear, really hear these stories. So let's talk about like your early experiences selling electronics on the street. Like everyone kind of has <laughs> a story, like selling newspaper route or selling baseball cards. Take us back to those early days. Like how, how'd you get into it, man? Was there, was there like an older, was there an older dude, an older influence that you saw? How'd you get into the, the hustling electronics on the, on the mean streets? Yeah. So, and, so I actually, I have always, uh, I, so I was the initially, um, I started out, I was actually a, kind of like a, um, I was a kid who, when I was like a, a, kind of in my formative years in, in middle school and high school, I was actually, I was getting into trouble a lot, actually. I was like hanging out with kind of the wrong crew, you know, like trespassing, getting into fights, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and then I joined my high school debate team. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, and uh, I discovered um, like a, a huge passion for debate. Um, I became the captain of my debate team in high school, um, became competitive, started traveling the country, going to tournaments. Um, and was was ranked uh, uh, top in the state of New Jersey. Um, and so I realized like I was okay, okay, like what should a successful like high school debater uh, do career wise? Okay, well, you know, probably like maybe like lawyer, maybe politics, right? Those right. are the so kind of the things really I was considering. Skills. Yeah. Right. I was thinking like, how can I use these skills? Um, and so uh, ultimately, I was disenchanted by both of those because I figured out a lawyer doesn't do those dramatic scenes in the courtroom 24 7. It's, it's actually 99% really like paperwork, right? Absolutely not. <laughs> then, yep. Uh, I know firsthand then, I'm married to one. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, I don't want to do paperwork all day. And then, um, and then uh, politics is just, 
a dirty, obviously. Uh, so, um, so I, I, so essentially like I decided, okay, I want to go into like marketing and advertising. Actually, I think that's like a, a good outlet for those kind of talents. Uh, so I, um, I was like applying for, um, marketing internships and, and advertising internships. And I was applying super late in the season. And I, I found this one advert, like advertising internship. And they were like, you're going to do guerrilla marketing is how they, they build it on the, um, <clears throat> on, on the application. Right. Uh, and so I, I show up with like a suit on and everything. Um, and everyone there has suits on. Um, and they're all like, um, they're actually all, all passing out these, um, these, these like bag. everyone has these duffel bags filled with stuff. And I'm like, okay, this is, this is interesting. This is weird. They're like, you've got Let's the job, goes, you're right? hired. Yeah. Let's get started. Here's grab this duffel bag. It was full of makeup. Um, it was full of like, hmm. like, and, and so they were like, here's the, here's the pitch. Here's how you sell it. Like you say, Hey, we're doing like a local promotion in the area. And so I, I literally, um, got out on the street that I, I, I kind of, there was this like inflection point where it was like, okay, they totally just like um, bait and switched me. Right. Um, and I guess like, that's what they do here. Um, now do I, now here's like this moment where it's like, okay, do I just absolutely dive into this and say like, screw it. I'm already here. Yeah, like, well, let's, yeah. let's just, let's just do it. Let's see what happens. Um, or do I just like say like, Oh, this is obviously a bait and switch. Like, let me go home. And like, now I'm, I don't have anything to do for the summer. So I was like, fuck it. Let's go. Let me, let me see it. Let me try my hand at selling makeup on the street. Um, Why not? Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm already here. Let's do this. <laughs> I started, I, w I went on onto this, like literally the street of Manhattan. We had a territory and we were up, like on the street. I don't know. Most people who walk who are like Manhattan regulars uh, know those people who are staying on the street corners and try to stop you to either get you to donate to some charity or something like that. Um, right, sign up for like Greenpeace that. or Amnesty Internet. Yeah, one of those things, right? Ex yeah. And those are all hustles, by the way. Those are all hustles. Do not donate to a charity through someone that approaches you on the street. Uh, do your own research and go directly to the charity. Do not <clears throat> do like, sorry, not to knock little, their hustle. There's a little PSA but... for everybody, right? <laughs> so so I was um, I was selling makeup um, and I was um, it turned out to be pretty good at it. Um, I was just approaching people on the street. Um, what I learned, I learned a really important lesson. I cut my teeth on this. Um, life is about uh, getting through the nose to get to the yeses, right? Um, anybody can sell makeup on the street of Manhattan, but not everybody can be told no a hundred times uh, to the face, right? And um, and it, it it's it's it was like so the only thing you need to do to sell makeup successfully on the street of Manhattan is actually just be told a hundred times no and have the perseverance to stick it out to get to that 101 uh, answer, which will be a yes. Um, and still, and not let that ruin your attitude, right? No. Um, it's, a tremendous, so, it's a tremendous lesson for anybody and to learn and to learn that young. And, and, and I kind of look back on it too. And I think, you know, I definitely had those experiences that that's what builds those, that tenacity, that early tenacity and the calluses to be able to take those hits and keep on going. A lot of people would just stop and say, screw it. I'm going to go do something else. I don't want to take this. I don't want to take these no's. Mental calluses are a real thing. Um, and they, and like, they don't, they, they stay with you uh, forever. Um, and I think that part of any early formative career should be a very difficult, hard manual labor job um, or, or, or like, or, or just like door to door sales. Um, I think that like 
I think that any any person in their formative years, any teenager, could, that's going to benefit them for the rest of their life by mm-hmm. leaps and bounds. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be a very hard no. summer, um, but it, you're going to you're, you're going to thank yourself for it. Yeah, let's let's pause on that for a second because I have a couple of thoughts there. I look back and I and I could easily say that some of my earlier jobs, of course, I hated them in the moment, and it taught me a ton. And looking back on it, I I think that you learn so much more from things that you don't like about a job than what you do like. You know, I talk about my time, my time at American Express, great company, hated my job, but I learned things there at American Express that I apply now. You know, fifteen years later, twelve years later, to my own business, how yeah. I manage it, the process, and everything too. But let me ask you, it's like like. Like just side note here, right? Like all these kids out there, right? Like I think that the way of hardworking and paying your dues is now being shit upon. The idea mm. of hustling and grinding, right? Like you and I would not, correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, you mm. and I would not have our business and success right now if we didn't actually grind, hustle, and work our ass off. No, are, of are, course are, not. Are, 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 is, is a new generation of course soft? Is, there, is, is this a problem that we're about to have? Are we, are we, having, are we gonna have a generation of softies? It, it's it's very like kind of self self filtering, right? Like we kind of so I think that a lot of people have entitlement issues today, but I also think that um, a lot of actually boomers and um, late millennials uh, also have a lot of those similar entitlement issues, right? I think the main factor, the main driver behind hard work, I think, is curiosity, intellectual curiosity, and that's not tied to any specific generation, right? So like. For instance, a millennial who says, I don't give a fuck about crypto. I don't want to learn about this. Like, the, what is this bullshit, right? Like, that is laziness. That's not, that's like, and they're not going to do the work to try to wrap their mind around new concepts and new exactly. things that are developing and happening because they're entitled and lazy. And you see that that mentality is huge with boomers, right? <clears throat> and with millennials too, who don't want to learn yeah, about it, the it Gen spans Z stuff. Generations. So like, it spans yeah, so I think I think it's it's a it's a it's a mentality thing. And look, um, you, you know, it's so cliche to say this, but like, just if you surround yourself with with people who who, who work hard, like those people won't like Bob, like you, those people will filter themselves out of your circle before they get into your and, orbit. And wait and wait and wait till you hit my age, and you see how true that really is. You know, surround yourself. I sound like the old fuck in the room now. Like surround <laughs> yourself with people that that keep your mind going. Like my group of friends, we're talking about stocks, we're talking about crypto, NFTs, yeah. right? Like we're keeping ourselves fresh, we're challenging each other. Like, uh, yeah, we're talking about sports and shit, right? But we're also on Sundays, right? But we are talking all week about stocks and the market and understanding and that, that helps you grow and learn. But you hit on a word that in my opinion is the most important character trait uh, when I, cause I'm a recruiter and we do hiring, is curiosity, being inquisitive, always searching for the why, the solution and everything. How, I mean, that, that's key. I mean, that's a huge trade, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it's so I don't know where it comes from. And I don't I think that like I, I think it comes from kind of not not being jaded. Right. And maybe even being like naively optimistic and wondering about the possibility of various things. But, you know, when you and your friends are a curious group, like the jaded people like are not interested in your conversations. Like they think you're they, they, they'll hear what you're talking about and be like, you guys are all stupid. None of this is going to work out. You know, the market yeah, is go screwed. Buy the, go buy those all, JPEGs, you idiot. Why would why would anyone build this if Google and Facebook could build this? You know, it's just like it's like, hey, like, let, you know, like this. I want to have conversations that aren't interesting for jaded people. Right. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. 
that's 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 it's funny man so let's i want to i want to i want to talk about you know i want to just rip through the career here a little bit so so in college yeah. and right out of college you, you had a great rotation of internships after selling makeup right you worked in social media marketing biz dev finance you, you did it all um I, how yeah. important was that how important was that foundation you know when you when you launched a pantella group i mean like to have all those key pieces lined up let's talk about like that runway I, I sold makeup on the street and then I sold electronics because there was a shop that was doing it across the street, the same gorilla street style, uh, right. like street sales. But they were like, you're going to sell what's called Obama phones, which ironically, yeah. uh, coming from a this Soviet country, yeah. this is when the, um, yeah, the, so if you're on welfare, the state pays for your phone, for a smartphone for you. And Russians so do not like Obama. <laughs> I think it was like it's like it literally is like a dirty it's a dirty word in my house. I think it's like it's like Cubans and Russians are ethnically the most um, like conservative, politically conservative groups, um, and that's because they come from communism and they're they're like they're scared of anything that may that oh, they yeah. think may even resemble it. Anyway, um, I I was selling so I went to electronics and then uh, I I got the it was a one hundred percent commission job. That was like a really good taste of entrepreneurship because it was like, okay, if I don't do well that today, I don't make any money. Um, and so then eat what you kill. Invaluable lesson there, people. That's how uh, Dan and I eat. live here. If we don't work, we don't eat. If we don't kill, we don't eat. That's exactly right. Yeah, like it's it's just all one hundred percent on you. Uh, so you're you're, but that means also mean so your like downside means you could be on the street, but your upside is uncapped. Um, so I'd much rather live <laughs> in that world um than you know like nine to five lines, right um so, but but like the, after getting that taste of that that like you know that commission structure right I, I kind of i went back to college uh you know i was in between all these internships and i thought okay um by the way i got legit real internships after that because i learned my lesson to apply earlier um yeah let's so but there, people apply earlier i started timelines yes <laughs> yeah exactly um but what I what I came away with was so uh, becoming being a debater in high school gave me um, really you good. You a master uh, debater? <laughs> if you, it's my dad, if you think my you're dad the first joke of the one. day, check check it off. Check the check the box. The <laughs> dad think... joke is out today. We are done. Eleven twenty four. This, this is morning. actually a comedy yeah. podcast now. No longer a business show. Comedy show. We've got the podcast. <laughs> um, so we. Um, so okay, I was I was um, a really good writer, uh, and I could it kind of given any subject matter could do like research and and write really quickly. So I started writing essays for my friends in college, um, and uh, I started getting um, more and more. I went to college in um, actually you know uh, I went to college in Binghamton. Okay, so and uh, there were a lot of kids there that just wanted to get their essays written and just so they could party and hang out. And so I was um, I was yeah, writing essays for my friends and. Uh, I was uh, I got so much business um, primarily from Greek life that um, you know I became known as the guy for this and um, I got guy. so much business I had I had to jack up my prices from twenty bucks a page to forty bucks a page and I still got I, the, the business didn't stop they were still willing to pay that and so what I did was I went around to all of the four hundred and five hundred level writing classes and found the like the uh, kind of some really talented writers and I just recruited them into a group chat and I was like guys. Uh, I can pass you a ton of work. Uh, I'll pay you 20 bucks a page uh, for there any project that you take on. Learning the margin so, game, simple business. So uh, I had this group chat going where on one side, I was getting all this work every day, all of these essays and assignments that people were passing to me willing to pay 40 bucks a page. And then in this group chat, I was giving them out 
uh, I was like, who wants to take this project? Someone would jump on it. Um, and you know, they would, you know, I'd pay them 20 bucks a page and just keep the margin. This paid for my college bar tab, um, my tuition. Um, and go, so it became, it, it, it became like this kind of big operation. Thriving now, business. That's entrepreneurship, <laughs> my friend. Learning how to, t- how to make two bucks out of one. <laughs> so then, so then what happened was, so I was also like really involved in like college life and the administration. I was the president of my college. Um, and so <clears throat> I was like, I would go to kind of mixers and events with the administration. So were you like a corrupt um, president? Like now that I'm thinking about it, I mean, this sounds kind of shady, man. Well, uh, this sounds I, a little bit shady. Let's call it what it, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm busting. <laughs> jokes, I mean, look, what was true. Like I could speak about this openly now. Um, but you know, it was true that yeah, we're, we're past the date. Yeah. We're, we're good. Yeah. We're past. I've got my college degree. Uh, and, uh, not, not that I even need it anymore. Uh, but you know, um, we, you know, we're past that. So I, I was very much, if I got called for this, I could get kicked out of school. Right. Um, and so essentially, um, you know, one day, like someone in the administration made this joke, like, uh, we were talking about homework and someone said, Oh, well, well, Pantello can cover that for you. Right. Like, um, that's when I kind of knew that the administration kind of knew, but you know, um, you know, there was, I, I was just got paranoid <laughs> and I was like, I need to, I need to pivot into something legit. legit. Right. I, I need to, I need to go need... legit. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. So, so here's wow. what I did. This is a deep <laughs> undercover expose here on the podcast, everybody. <laughs> We, on Inside Edition podcast, Dan Pantello's Binghamton <laughs> ring, ring of essay writing English nerds. <laughs> All right, so now, so, so now you're like shit. I gotta so go we, legit. So I gotta go right. legit, right? I've got, the witness I, protection I don't, program. There, I don't want to stop. I don't want to stop making money. Um, and uh, I, I have this team of writers, this team of content creators. So what can I pivot into that would be legit? Well, at the time search engine optimization seo was still like not a commodity and it was still like oh my god you can get me to the top of google you must be some like you know hacker black, savant, black hacker right, stuff, right? Yep. yeah but really the name of the game with seo is it's like 85 percent just keyword optimized content creation right and so i went around to a bunch of the taking my door-to-door sales experience and street experience went around to a bunch of the local businesses in binghamton and I was like, hey, if someone looks up Chinese food in Binghamton, don't you want to be number one on top of Google? And they were all like, yeah. Uh, and yeah, so I just that? got a bunch of local businesses as my customers, and we started doing search engine optimization for them. And then slowly, uh, this happened, at, like, obviously, at, like, it was out of my dorm room um, with, the, with the folks, the writers that I was working with. And then they started asking, like, okay, do you want to, you know, oh, we're going to run this promotion. Can you run this promotion for us? Can you update our website? Uh, can you make this old. flyer for us? And we didn't know how to do any of that shit, but we just said yes to everything and Googled it and figured it all out along the way. So the next thing you know, I really have this kind of like almost like this full service digital agency at that point. Um, And so the first thing I did after I graduated college really was just, um, you know, we opened up our within uh, within about three, four months of graduating. I opened up my uh, office in Soho. And that's when we started working with primarily venture backed DTC brands. And that's when it really took off. And but how did how did the business development side start? You know, I mean, look, first of all, kudos to you, like coming right out of college, right? Like very small percentage of, of folks are just going to go in and start a business. I mean, you, you were you, you were boot, you bootstrapped it. I mean, you had success. You were rolling into it. Was it just like a logical progression? Like you, you had this business going and you were about to graduate. You're like, like I'm not just going to stop and shut it down in Binghamton. I'm going to keep it going. Right. Like that was the mentality. It had to be. Correct me if I'm wrong. 
I mean, it's, 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 a, it's addicting because I, I was making more money than I ever could make uh, doing anything else. So it was a no-brainer. Yeah. You're like, what am I going <clears> to <throat> take? Like, I don't even know what you were making, but like, what am I going to take a, an entry-level marketing job for like 35, 40K? No. I'm sure you're exactly. Yeah. That, right? like, it, that's, oh, yeah. It didn't make sense. There wasn't even probably the thought in your head. It probably never even crossed your mind, right? It, it just it was it was a no brainer um, because of because of the, the money, the potential, the excitement and the career building. That was the network building that I was doing for myself all along the way. I mean, it was like, why, why would I ever pigeonhole myself into, you're, you know, a role out of college? Yeah, you're 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 a purebred entrepreneur like you, you are like this is, you know, I, I it's interesting. Like, do you, do you think let me ask you this? Like, do you think entrepreneurship is you're born with it or is it something that you could learn? Those skills. I mean, it's nature, nature versus nature, nurses, virtue, nurture, like combination of both. Like, you know, I'm, 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 I I think that definitely growing up in a Soviet refugee household had a major influence on me. And of course, there's the genetics that come with that. But then there's also the learnings of like the, hey, work your ass off. Make your like. I want to make one of the things. I'm an only child, and one of the most important things to me is to make my parents proud, make them happy for moving to this country, right? And so, um, you know, it's 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 like, I mean, look, I I know that I'm kind of I've always kind of known it and felt it that I was a, you know, I not a not a natural born entrepreneur, but I think I was always like a natural leader, like with my friend groups um, when when we were growing up, um, and just like things that <clears throat> I just kind of like to assume responsibility for both wins and failures um, and, and kind of motivating people that really just kind of comes naturally for, for me. So that that's what I can speak to. Hey everybody. First, I'd like to thank you all for spending time with me and my guest on the podcast. This show is my canvas to showcase amazing people from the world of recruiting entrepreneurship and leadership and unpack their career journeys for everyone to learn from. But this show is also a business generator for me, as well as creating thought leadership and endless amazing content. And I've taken what I've learned in the past three years and over 200 recorded and 100 live shows and distilled it down into a digital playbook that I call the Pause Course. Now you could learn how I build, manage, and produce the podcast and use it to drive real business development and relationships. Today, I'm sharing all of my secrets behind the podcast, and you can get it all at thepausecourse.com. This course is for anyone, whether you're starting out or an advanced podcaster using it for B2B, a B2C, it's filled with all of my insights, learnings, tips, tricks, and templates. So get it now at thepausecourse.com and learn all my secrets. Thanks. Let's talk about the idea of, of owning your losses. And this is my thesis, man. For anybody who follows me, you know this. And I think that it's really a key to success because until you could actually Take accountability, not just for your wins and say, fuck yeah, I won, man, but actually own up to your losses. That's where the true learning and, and growth comes from. So I, I applaud you for that. And what advice would you give people to that, that are not comfortable owning their losses? Like whether they lose their job, they're always blaming somebody else or blaming external circumstances. People got to cut that shit out. And, and I preach this all the time. Own your loss, take accountability, and you will then you will see the real growth. I mean, there's nothing that um, makes me um, dislike somebody personally more than someone who has that victim mentality right whether it's like someone in my family or someone who i meet on the street like like you can tell these people who have victim mentality um are always trying to look for external reasons why and so like this it goes uh this is the opposite victim mentality is the opposite end of the spectrum of stoic philosophy right and stoicism suggests that like 
everything that you can't control in your like you should not spend any time worrying about anything that you cannot control in your life but for the things you can control you take all you assume ultimate responsibility and accountability for it, right um and so so like those are the people who like i mean if you if you're kind of in that victim mentality i, I just don't understand like how you could like what the only thing that motivates you is like hating right like right. that sucks that sounds like yeah. a bad place to be for you mentally, right? Like the only way, like like people in victim mentality like, are not happy people, right? And I just never understood, like if you want to make yourself happy, go through this painful journey. Like one of the things that Elon Musk said that really I thought was so interesting was, you know, he was like, if someone, if someone, um, if you need to ask somebody the question, should I be an entrepreneur? You're not ready, right? It's so simple. Like, you're not ready, right? Like it should it's be so obvious. simple. Such a clear thing he said there. Yeah, like it's like it's kind of like in dating too, right? Like if if you're like, should I be marrying this woman? Like if you're asking yourself that, that's like, a whole different you, podcast, my friend. You don't know, <laughs> yeah. So, but let yeah. me let me let me let me ask you this, man. Um, did you did you did you have a beacon? Did you have advisors? Did you have a mentor or a group of mentors? that you were able to rely on to ask questions like who, who helped guide you through this journey was it all self self-learned no no 100 no it, no it takes a village um it's never self-learned and um and it's your responsibility to seek out those mentors uh that can elevate you kind of into the, that next level of thinking you know when i was like poor um and we were kind of like on the street and i was just like doing random stuff um <clears throat> like i met rich people and i saw how they think different right um rich people wealthy people think totally differently about spending money um relationships network growing um mm -hmm. and so like i kind of anchored into a few really early on um people who i was just like hey can i just like shadow you and we do like coffee like once a week and i'm just like i'm just like this kid who's like totally inconsequential to your life and i just want to like learn from you and like pick your brain and i just like come with a bunch of questions um and just hear how like how they think about things so differently um and then just you know ult uh, over time when you spend time with those folks like that really kind of seeps into you um and you kind of you really just like um have to just keep anchoring and the one thing that's important to note is that you outgrow your men you should be outgrowing your mentors on a regular basis right so like i'm that. actually they want that right they want that they they do <laughs> yes that's what yeah. bring, br that's what brings mentor. mentors what brings mentors fulfillment is seeing their mentees graduate, so to speak. Right. And yes, so that's how you could pay your mentor back by, by continuing to climb and ascend up. And so like, I'm currently looking Love for it. my next level mentor because I feel like my current one, I'm out and I've had, I've had like a series. It's like, it's almost like going through like freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, senior year. Right. It's like, you know, you, you, you first, you start, you start kind of like with someone who's just, can kind of show you the ropes and show you around, right? And then you start with someone who's like, wow, this person had like a tremendous exit, right? Under their belt. And they know how like mm -hmm. how MA conversations work and how VC works. And they can show you the, you know, the ecosystem there. And then you keep going higher and climbing, like anchoring into higher mentors after that. So that's important. The mentor progression and being intentional how, about it. How do you how do you how do you find mentors? Uh, you walk up to people and, uh, tell like one of the things that I found like, so, okay, I'll say this when you're in a room full of really successful people, right. Um, 
what I've noticed is that um, usually like the conversations don't happen because everyone is posturing, right? <clears throat> it's like, it's a measuring contest, right? Like everyone is mm -hmm. like, if you introduce you're like, oh, I do this. The other person will say, well, well, I do this. Here's my social mm -hmm. status. Here's why I belong in this room, right? Sizing and, each other and, up. and they're sizing and they're posturing, right? And that creates friction, right? Um, but but it, the way that I navigate rooms like that is I approach it with the mentality of being like, like not talk, not trying to posture at all, being completely humble. Like I don't wear, I, I wear a solid color t-shirt, jeans and converses, dirty converses every single day. You approach very humble and you say, hey, like what about, and you're interested, you just, you're, you have to be curious and interested in what they do and just come with your hat in your hand and say, oh my God, there's all of these things that I would be really excited to learn from you. That person, you're going to, you're going to have meetings with them. They're going to be really excited because they Solid don't see advice. you as a threat. They're not trying to posture. You're not sure. There's no, there's no posturing game happening on them. here. Yeah. Exactly. And so, and generally speaking, when you're networking in a room of like those kind of people, just coming, coming hat, hat in hand and, and being humble, it's like, they don't, they're not used to that. Right. No. Um, and so, so it's That's refreshing right. for them. It, it absolutely. So let's pivot. I want to talk about Marpipe. Give, yeah. us, give us a down and dirty quick origin story. Tell us, tell us where to come from. What do you guys do there? What are you trying to accomplish? How do you help we were, companies? When we had our digital agency in Soho, we were making ads and running them, spending like, you know, uh, brands that sort of spending like a million bucks a month on Facebook ads, you know, venture backed direct to consumer brands, you know, companies like um, Hydrant, you know, uh, or, or like, you know, if you think about VC backed DTC brands, there's so many of them in the city, there's Casper, Allbirds. So really kind of companies like that fit that kind of that, that mold. Right. And, um, we, we were, um, making ads and running them for them. And one of the things we were always under a performance mandate, which is where I thrived, meaning like you're only judged by the success, the money in money out of these ads, you know, meaning we're not just like some, like a branding agency making pretty Your pictures. Your compensation was based on the performance. Exactly right. Agency, right? Exactly. That's exactly results. right. So we were we were we were compensated based on results. results. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Uh, and so what we really kind of quickly discovered was that the most important element to performance by far, and some people listening to this podcast might be surprised by this, but you know the most important element to add performance by far, the one thing we could do to change things that would have the biggest impact on performance was not your audience targeting. It was not your reach, not your brand. It was actually the creative itself. And what I mean by that specifically is that if we took an ad that we made and just changed the background color from blue to green or replaced a cactus somewhere in the background with a palm tree, even the most granular visual variables would have such a, a, like a, a material profound impact on the performance of that piece of that ad. Most people think that if the ad isn't performing well, scrap the whole idea, let's start from scratch, hire a new agency. No, actually making small granular visual differences has Almost can have as much of a performance impact. And so we kind of started taking this approach that people were like looked at, like people in our industry thought we were nuts. And this was like heresy because we realized that by just changing a lot of small variables very quickly, uh, almost with like no intentionality behind it, um, we could generate a lot of volatility in this like little bubble. And when you can right. generate a lot of volatility predictably, learning. you can, you find positive outliers emerge from the group. Right. Um, and so those positive outliers, you just take them and scale them. And then some, and sometimes they, they wouldn't even make sense at all. 
like we would tell something resonated like something resonated for the right reason in whatever way hyper testing learning optimizing rolling out scaling and, and and you know like we this is why kind of where like business insider get termed coined us um the money ball of ad creative um That's a, you know thank you business insider we'll take that one appreciate it we'll put that right up on the wall right there <laughs> that's like essentially you know what it's referring to is like we're with when it comes to ad creative we're playing the numbers game we don't care how pretty or shiny the object is um we strictly care about the, the like how do we get to the path of most performance and we're only looking at the numbers and so taking this data-driven and scientific approach where we're just like uh, like creating like high volatility to extract positive outliers um, <clears throat> was something that we just kind of cooked up in, 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 in our kitchen. And um, we were like, okay, um, you know, not only are we uh, learning, like predictably finding better performing ad creative, but we're also actually learning for the first time why, like which visual variables most impact performance up or down. And we were discovering things you would never believe to be true that are just so counterintuitive and go against like counter judgment. And you would never stumble upon these discoveries if it wasn't by random. You know, some of the best medical breakthroughs that ever happened in history uh, happened by just like through random accidental tinkering. Right. And that's exactly what we're doing at scale in a very structured way at Marpipe when it comes to ad creative to extract that creative data and give it to brands uh, so that they can have a what for the first time a data-driven creative process and not just a bunch of people kind of saying like oh i think this looks good do you think this looks good you know like that's not an efficient system that's massive, um, that's so, massive man what, what was what, what was one of those big um stumbling blocks early on when you when you, when you first launched as, as a founder as a business owner maybe it was something that you had a preconceived notion, maybe it was a thesis, a hypothesis that like didn't play out or a big stumbling block mistake that you made. Yeah, well, I actually started several ventures and started tried to do several businesses that like totally fit flat, fell flat on their face immediately and didn't work. And honestly, um, let me, so initially before Marpipe, I, I tried to do something called a Marstack um, where we actually, one of the problems we identified was like, hey, let's, um, you know, a lot of, um, these direct-to-consumer brands uh, have like a very complex suite of marketing technology tools that they use. And normally they don't actually know how to navigate and pick the right tools and correct, collect, collect, collect the right combination of tools that work seamlessly with each other. This is called a MarTech stack. It refers to your combination of marketing tools. And, uh, and actually like a lot of business, this is still a problem that hasn't been solved today. I just didn't know how to solve it. Um, and so we kind of tried to like kind of... Uh, build some platforms and consult for that and create content and there was traction but it didn't it didn't go anywhere um we didn't figure out how to make like unit economics or, or like a SaaS model work there um and so uh when we started marpipe right essentially what i did was i used just used the profit from the agency to hire some engineers to work on this problem with us and uh you know we, we were developing and we fell flat a lot um we like didn't we, we didn't have something we could actually like use to do what we wanted to do for you know, well over a year, uh, almost a year and a half, we were just like spinning our wheels, um, iterating and, and going through a trial and error process. When we launched Marp, when we actually like did it for the first time, we had a ton of interest. Um, we raised 2 million bucks uh, at the end of 2019 from Adobe and VCs when they saw what we were able to build. Um, and then over the next six months, we like, all we did was just build a user interface on top of it and collect a wait list. And that wait list grew to over 4,500 companies organically in six months that wow. were just like, oh my God, if you're saying you can automate our creative testing, 
then yeah, like, be part of this. let's, we want to be a part of this. Right. And so it really grew like that. And then, um, and then when we released the first version of Marpite, the first self-serve version, it was, we actually had like, we were, we were like, oh my God, we have 4,500 companies waiting at the gates. Right. And we launched the product and we invited everyone in. And over the next few months, we grew to over 10,000 users, 10,000 users signed up to Marpipe, real marketers with real ad spend. Yeah, real business. And none of them upgrade, like no one was upgrading uh, to wow. our paid plans, right? And right, it so was a map. Everyone, everyone came in for the trial slash free plan yes. kind of deal. Oh shit. Exactly. Now what? Yeah. So you're all yes. excited, right? Let's lay this out here. Your heart's pounding. This is everything yeah. you've been working on. You're finally seeing yeah. this realization. You built up the demand for it. You built up the hype. And you're like, um, uh, guys, we're, uh, no, no one's converting here. What the? Fuck? No one's paying for this. No one wants All to right, pay so, for this. So, so what was? <laughs> walk me, walk us, through, walk us through the solution here. How'd you get through this? Yeah. So, so <laughs> we were. These are we, real life um, problems, people. Real entrepreneur stories. That's what we do here on the podcast. Let's get into it. <laughs> so we're like, oh my god, we're gonna need to tell our investors to go home. Like, no one can buy this. This is this was a massive existential crisis moment, and we were really all looking in the mirror, um, staring into nothing, and it was like. We're just rapidly trying to iterate. We thought it was some product problems. We were tweaking things in the product, in the workflow. Um, nothing was working. Um, and really, like, I got a bunch of those kind of early users on the phone, like real marketers with real, I knew they were legit. I got them on and I was like, hey, why'd you sign up? Like, what were you looking for? And why didn't you use it, right? And <clears throat> essentially all of them were like, well, I want to do this and this and this, right? And I was like, well, that's exactly what this platform does. Let me share my screen with you and walk you through it. Right. And they would be like, oh, now I get how it works. Uh, and then they would like take off on their own, right? And so we kind of really like just through actually like rolling up your sleeves, getting in the trenches, getting dirty, picking up a okay, shovel and combat. talking to all of these users, hand in, yeah, like one at a time talking to all these users, we kind of, we really quickly discovered Oh my God, people need, like, this is, this is a semi-complex platform, right? Like, this is not like a Zoom or a Calendly where you click no, a few buttons and it, it needs, works. It, it needs to be hand-holding. There needs to be some hand-holding, some human contact, some explanation. There needs to be onboarding. There needs to be training. Otherwise, it's not good. You're not going to know how to use the Real platform success, and there's right? no mm -hmm. point. So, exactly. So, and at the time, you know, we were like, how do we get real, like, we can't afford customer success because we're charging like it's a freemium model. It's like 70 bucks to upgrade. So what we did was, so here's one of the key lessons we learned from this. And I think this is so important. I tell this to people all the time, small changes, small optimis, small changes make small optimizations. Big changes make big optimizations. Sometimes you need to throw a wrench into everything and change it all overnight. Uh, make a massive overhaul um, and 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 just and and make a make a big bet. Um, and so what what we did was we just like kind of with not so much runway left, we changed. Well, we we did something pretty radical that everyone was just like, why the fuck would you do this? We essentially we shut down our sign up funnel. No one can sign up to Marpipe anymore for free. You now have to talk to a seller. We hired one seller, right? Um, you now we we sixty we we increased our price by sixty five x. We increased it from seventy bucks a month for the base plan to two thousand bucks a month for the base plan, and annual only contracts going forward. No more month to month subscriptions. Only annual contracts. Put your big boy so pants you would on, think this. Mm -hmm. 
you would think like in a world where no one is converting into our platform, why would we make it so much harder for someone to convert? It's very like counterintuitive. Like, why would you increase the price by 65X? Why would you make so much friction in the agreement? Ever since we made that change, Adam, our business has 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 been skyrocketing up and to the right. Um, we why? just discovered why? our why? business why? model. What's the why? Let's, what's the why behind that? What's the psychology behind that? So there's several things, right? First is like when you when you're positing to do something like extreme, like something like creating a platform that makes the creative workflow data driven for the first time, that fundamentally changes the creative process, which is this massive industry with all of these professionals. Um, you know, no one takes it seriously if you're selling something for 70 bucks, right? There's this sales, sales psychology element that has like a really, really big factor in mind. And then once they, once someone is, once you're like, cause what we found was it was really easy to sell the premise of the product. Everyone right. wants the, make sense. the ability to do this, right? No one's going to say, no, I don't want to do that. Right. Exactly. Like doing it. <laughs> no, is a, no is a marketer, no, no, no successful marketer is going to say no to that. Which is why it was so easy for us to get signups. So we had, we knew we tapped something, we tapped real demand, we tapped real product market fit. We just didn't know how to build a business on top of it. And what mm -hmm. it comes down to everything, everything around a business goes down to like the business model, right? And that kind of like the unit economic structure you set up. And so what we decided to do was build a sales led uh, organization rather than a product led organization. You know, product led uh, companies uh, are like great. It's great for like simple tools. Right. That like have like massive viral potential, like Dropbox is product led, you know, um, uh, Zoom, uh, Calendly, uh, you know, all you, you know, all of these like kind of free sign up products that are just like really simple to use, you know. But then you have like the, these also these really large billion dollar businesses like HubSpot and Salesforce, where if you want to engage with them, you're required to buy their two and a half thousand dollar or three thousand dollar onboarding training package. You cannot use it without going through the Skin mandatory the training. Right. Exactly. So we just figured out we're more like that businesses, those businesses, than we are it's like those other you, ones. It's about who do you want to align with in, in the future. I, I love that, man. So I, I want to bring it home here. I mean, what's what's on the horizon for you guys? What's next? What's the next big hurdle that, that you as the, the founder need to jump yeah. over and overcome to take you to the next level? So, I mean, right now, we so we recently, about three months ago, um, three months ago, we raised um, – $8 million from some of the best investors in our space. Um, Congrats, man. We, That's big. In about, thank you. Um, in about the past three months, we also, um, we 2.5x our team size. Um, we also uh, uh, just about doubled our revenue. Um, and so the growth, we kind of feel like we're right now, um, we're, we're saying the growth trajectory is just just staying on top of it and scaling it and hiring the right like we can't hire enough engineers cs and salespeople right now that's actually kind of one of our biggest challenges good we'll um, talk as, after the show <laughs> <laughs> as we look ahead uh to the future right one of the most exciting things is like the change that like this new workflow will have on the creative space like this is this moment in this industry where you know, we're bringing the forklift into the warehouse. You don't need to carry boxes by hand anymore. All you need to do is have one of those box carriers train them how to operate the forklift, right? And you'll be able to do things so much more efficiently. And so it's this massive moment of automation uh, that's happening in, in specifically the advertising and marketing creative space, which is so exciting. And our product roadmap reflects that completely. So like we're right now, we like we're, we're about to integrate with 
every single other place where marketers serve their media, right? So not just Facebook and Instagram, but Google and LinkedIn and Twitter and Trade Desk and all those platforms. And we're going to be this kind of like this mesh that is really like the ultimate goal of the of this this like this platform agnostic um, kind of operating system for creative testing. Um, that is where marketers and advertisers will go to run their creative experiments. And we know that we all know that creative testing is like exercise for brands, right? Exercising is hard and difficult and resource intensive and sometimes painful, but we all know that the ones who do it the most are the strongest and the healthiest. It's the same thing for brands and creative testing, right? And I'm kind of, we kind of feel like we're in this place where we're selling exercise in a pill. So, um, so yeah. (laughs) Good problems to have. Um, let me, let me ask you this before I bring it home here. Um, yeah. You know, you, you interview a lot of people, and I assume at this point in the growth of your company, by the time someone gets to you, they're, they're going to have those skills, the hard skills required for the job. But how do you, like, what kind of, what, what's kind of like your go-to question to really see in a short amount of time, like, their values, their character, what they're all about? Do you have, like, a go-to question? How likely do you think it is that we are currently in a simulation? <laughs> that's like, the question like like, like, like in so, the Truman show kind of thing is that kind of where yeah you're going with that? exactly like we're in this or, big experiment matrix, this big like you know yeah um we yeah. so so it's like so the reason i asked that question uh is <laughs> is, is 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 for several reasons right one it's like completely unexpected it's a compl- totally unexpected curveball uh not like cool. this is like not you're like not pre- color and why you're not prepared for that well maybe if you listen to the podcast you will and you're about to interview with me you will be prepared for it if you listen all the way to the end um Ooh, but <laughs> but we, um, you know, it, it, what I like, this, you know what that gauges, Adam, that, that measures that question. The answer to that question measures curiosity. Um, so it's like one of those really deep questions you could crawl all the way down a rabbit hole on and, and present some really sure. profound thinking about. Yeah, I'm sure you get and, some really interesting responses too. You're like, this this person might be fucking crazy, but I like it, right? <laughs> it, it, ex- exactly. So like most it people- It might be I'll just talk- the crazy that we need in this company. Exactly. Two thirds of people will just tell you like, oh, haha, they'll giggle nervously and say, I don't know, right? And it's like, that's an immediate disqual. Like, it's like, okay, if you're not even willing to like wrestle with that question or you're not even curious to like explore this with me and have this conversation right now, it's like, well, what happens when some curveball hits you, you know, whenever, like, based on whatever you're working on, you know, my hiring philosophy is hire smart people and just get out of their way, right? Like, you shouldn't hire smart Amen. people so that you can tell them what to do. They should tell you what to do, right? And so they need to be curious and always kind of breaking through barriers and thinking through all these things on their own rather than you having to do it for them. Killer advice. And speaking of killer advice, Dan, let's, uh, you know, I, I ask these same two questions for anyone who knows the show for a reason because this is, this is how I learn and this is how I share back to my audience here. Dan, what's the single greatest piece of advice you've ever received that you take action on every single day? I, I would say, you know, I'll, I'll refer you to a quote that's in my email signature for this exact reason. So it stays top of mind every day. And it's the following. Most of our assumptions have already outlived their usefulness. It's a quote by Marshall McLuhan, who is a media theorist. Um, and it's essentially, uh, it's about essentially like everything, whatever year you, you assume to be, uh, like true about the world, uh, or about people, um, is, is, is likely changing as we speak. 
right? Um, and so, you know, take, you know, stay like stay curious and keep learning, right? Um, and keep keep oh, executing yeah. against those learnings and like you know, it's like strong opinions loosely held, right? Like uh, as a debater, I can convince you mm. of I can I, I can I can probably convince you of of of, of kind of believing for one thing or against that same thing. Um, but it's like my personal convictions are like, I can defend them, um, until I can't. And at that point they change. Most people refuse to change their assumptions and anchor into that because of some ego, uh, situation. They don't want to, um, they, don't want to they don't want to admit that they're wrong or they might've misunderstood something or even that's, that's right. another way to think about it or being open-minded. Yeah. Okay. And so it's like, let go, let go of that. Let go. Like it, it's, it's okay. Like I'd like to be proven wrong. Right. I seek it out and seek people who can challenge me on that front. Most people don't, most people don't think like that. Um, and I think that that's like that, that ruins a lot of great conversations from, uh, from taking place. It's interesting. That's a common thread I hear amongst a lot of accomplished leaders. I mean, I've had, you know, fortune 50 CEOs on here. I've had incredible entrepreneurs like yourself and, and, the words that you're saying right now deeply resonate, and I've heard that multiple times. It's really growing that that idea of just challenge me. I want to be challenged, right? And I'm open mm -hmm. to being challenged, and I want to hear your point of view, and I also want to create a space where that's okay as a leader, exactly. as a business owner. So, Dan, let's bring it home here. Um, you know, I, I love your story. This has been a fantastic conversation, and you go back to the the, the rough times in your life, maybe in childhood, and you were growing up, um, you know, without having the the money and the resources. And you had to find that way to, to pull yourself up and really harness that inner tenacity to drive yourself forward. And then on the flip side of that, looking now, I mean, this is success, man. This is the American dream, and you're living it. And you're making <laughs> your parents proud here, right? And you want to show gratitude. What yeah. is your roadmap? What is your compass? What keeps you focused? Dan Pantello, what is your North Star in life? Oh, man, my, nor my, North, star, my North Star in life is, 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 like, is happiness. Um, which is like such a basic answer, but just to break it down a little bit deeper, like, God damn it, man, I love what I do. I wake up every morning. I'm truly grateful for where I am. I, I walk outside onto the street of New York and I look up, uh, like a, like a freaking tourist. Um, and I never kind of get into that day to day rut where, you know, that has people, those people who are looking down on the floor as they walk have like become jaded and lost their sense of like kind of just gratitude and hope. Um, and so I'm looking up like a tourist every day, um, you know, and, and it's, it's like, it's the ability to come in and work on what I want to work on, collaborate with people that I want to, you know, um, happiness I find in freedom in, and in, in kind of in self-discipline, right? It's not about, it's, it's never about the money. It's about um, the journey. If you're not enjoying the journey and the day-to-day -day of this, you know, you're doing the wrong thing. If you're currently, if you're listening to this show, you're on a journey that you're not enjoying on, you know, that you're not enjoying, remember, small changes only make small optimizations. Make a big change. That's what I'd say. I love it. There it is. Dan, thank you so much for joining us today. I want everyone to check out marpipe.com. Uh, where can folks find you? Where can they connect with you? Well, only check out marpipe if you're in the business and, and willing to pony up a couple bucks. I can get, where, can, where, where can folks find you? Where can they learn? Where can they connect? Yeah, if you want to learn more about the platform, um, you can reach out and chat with any of our sales folks and get a demo. Um, just go to marpipe.com. Uh, super simple. And if you want to follow me and keep up with me, 
Um, I, I, I post a lot of bullshit um, and some a very, and very few smart things um, on Twitter at, at Dan Pantalo. Um, so thanks for having me, Adam. This is a lot of fun, man. This is great. Yeah, this is good stuff, man. And, and everyone listening at home, I mean, this, these are the conversations. These are the, this is where the gold is, right? If you're anyone entrepreneurship at any level, even thinking about it, or you know what? Totally cool to work nine to five. We all do. There's nothing wrong with that too, but you're looking for that spark. You're looking for uh, a great story and a great journey. You know, I hope you got that out of this one. Dan, I want to thank you. Hang with me for one moment as I sign off here. Remember, sharing means caring. So if you did like this episode, share it with your friends. It goes a long way. Spread the word of the podcast. You can find out more at thepodcast.com. Remember, look out for each other. Take care of one another and catch us next week for another good episode of the podcast. Goodbye, everybody. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The Pausecast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com. <laughs>